All right, as you saw in the video, we are simply addressing the great invitation. Christmas does reflect, it remembers, it celebrates the greatest invitation offered to mankind. And I'll come back to that in a few moments, but I want to kind of start with the beginning of the Christmas story, which is how an invitation came to what was most likely a teenage girl. 2,000 years ago, Middle East, a woman that were betrothed to, to the husbands were not typically in their 30s or 40s. They were typically probably in their mid to late, I would imagine late, let's just say late, otherwise we're going to get distracted with them. Okay, probably late teens. And there's this invitation that comes to her. I imagine many of you are familiar with the story, but, but if not, bear with me as I just go through a few passages of Scripture found in the book of Luke, chapter 1, where it says in verse 26, that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, I just want you to pause for a moment. I want you to imagine, if you can, what type of person would receive that type of greeting. What type of person, and again, we're talking about a teenager, right? This isn't someone that has lived this long life. What type of teenager would actually get the attention of God? Which is, again, why I say it's more important about who we become than just what we get done. What kind of person could God trust with his son? Like, that's a pretty big deal. And for her to actually have found favor with God. Because I do think, by the way, that God can extend certain invitations to people that can be trusted with certain invitations. Now, much like the rest of us, Mary, verse 29, was confused and disturbed, to say the least. I don't know what it would be like for you. I don't know what the angels looked like, but I'm, I'm imagining it would have been a little bit scary. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you, again, here we have it, have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. I do believe that in order for us to be trusted with significant invitations, big invitations, in some cases life-changing invitations, invitations that have ripple effects, it probably starts with us being faithful with the really small invitations, with the really minute, undercovered, unnoticed, day-to-day -day invitations. I think that that's how we find favor with God. Now, we're not talking about being loved by God. God loves you. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. But I can find more favor with God. I can, I can be someone that can be trusted with more than at other seasons of my life. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I don't know about you, but if she had any grasp of understanding of what it was that Gabriel was telling her that God had chosen her to do. Like you talk about Mission Impossible. This, like this is a big deal to be asked to be the human mother. I mean, guys, we still can't get our heads around it 2,000 years later. Can you imagine being told you're going to be the mother of the Messiah? Like, it might sound exciting 
going back, but I think it would have been pretty intimidating being in that moment, being in that season. And this is what I don't want us to miss. Mary had a choice. I do think that Mary could say no. Just like we have invitations from God that we can say yes or no to. We do receive invitations. I promise you, you have received an invitation, or although I would argue probably many invitations from God, most of which have probably been small, subtle, gentle. But we receive invitations from God, and we actually have a choice as to how we respond to those invitations. And again, that's why part of the focus of this message today is to encourage us to be the kind of people that would actually say yes, the kind of people that would respond well to significant invitations, and the only way to get there is to pave it with being willing to say yes to very small invitations. Again, think of the kind of person that Mary had to have been. And by the way, think of the kind of person that Joseph had to have been. Can you imagine being engaged to get married? And again, it's so hard in this cultural moment because it is so, it, we are so far removed from what it would have been like culturally in the Middle East 2,000 years ago for you as a fiance to find out that your fiance is pregnant. Yeah. God impregnated me. Like, think about that for a moment, right? It's like, Mary, you okay? We need, you know, we need to take your temperature. Did you eat too much pizza last night? Like, like are you mad? That's, that's weird. Now, now, add to that the complexity of the fact that, that according to the law at the time, if at worst Mary could have been stoned. Joseph could have had her shamed and killed. But actually, the Bible tells us that, that Joseph, when he found out that he planned to divorce her privately, he, didn't, he wasn't going to shame her. He, he didn't want to harm her. Again, I'm talking about the kind of person. Who we become is more important than what we get done in terms of the order, because if we become the kind of person, and then we will want to get done. Mary was a type of person. Joseph was a type of person. And those of you that know the rest of the story know that eventually an angel also appeared to Joseph, which I think would have been quite a relief after he got over the shock. Like, okay, okay, she's not crazy. She wasn't lying. But make no mistake, they have a choice. They were a certain type of person. But also, that doesn't mean that it wasn't intimidating. I think this invitation must have been Terrifying. I, I cannot imagine that Mary fully, was fully aware of everything that it would entail. I don't think that Mary knew that some of the deepest pain in her life would come as a result of this invitation. I don't think it was easy to imagine what it would have been like being the mother of Jesus and trying to parent with other siblings who aren't Jesus, but you've got Jesus, and then you've got them, and they're good, but they're not Jesus, they're not perfect, and like, you've got to like try and navigate this stuff, and then, oh, and then you lose him. Some of you know that story, right? Joseph and Mary, like, they forgot Jesus behind in Jerusalem. It took them two days to figure out that oh, we lost Jesus. Like, these are some pretty intimidating uh, nuances to try and imagine, and then even as an adult, Mary would have worried like any mother would worry. There were times where, where she was deeply concerned that he wasn't getting food because he was so busy. And then, of course, to go through the pain of seeing him falsely accused, wanted, pursued, convicted falsely and, and killed. There, was, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of different emotions attached and pain attached. What I'm trying to say is don't think that just because there's pain that it wasn't God's invitation. 
there may be things in your life that you have responded to because you have thought that it is an invitation from God, but then you become discouraged thinking, no, no, maybe that wasn't God because there's pain involved. No, God and pain can coexist in a particular season, in a particular circumstance. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel again, just like the rest of us would, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. She didn't, she was a virgin. How is this gonna happen? Again, like many of us, when we have sensed God prompting, inviting, the inevitable question is, okay, but how? How is this meant to happen? How is this meant to work out? How are we supposed to find answers? How, how are we gonna have the wisdom needed? How are we gonna have the leadership ability? How, how are we gonna connect to the right people? I just wanna encourage you that if it's God, it's okay that there might be ways that are not ordinary, that are not easy to rationalize, that, 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 that I know this will mess with some of our heads, that are not scientific. Mary did not conceive in the typical scientific way. It was actually a miracle. But again, I want to encourage you with Mary's questioning. Okay, but that's great, but how? Like, that's normal. That is Okay, verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. And this is the verse we're ending off with, for the word of God will never fail. Now again, it's easy to just gloss over that. But think about this for a moment. I don't know if this is the case, but I can't help but wonder if God did another miracle in Elizabeth in order to encourage Mary in her faith. Because this was a pretty lonely road that she was about to walk on. She was being invited to say yes to something miraculous, out of the ordinary, impossible to explain. Oh, but here's your cousin Elizabeth who you've known all your life to be barren. She is way past the age of childbearing years, has loved God, has honored God, has done everything she can, and has yet been de denied the, the desire of having a baby. Yet, supernaturally, miraculously, in her old age, God has allowed her to become pregnant. And I can't help but think that maybe, maybe God was just allowing another circumstance that would encourage Mary in her faith. And sometimes, it's okay for you to look at what God has done for other people and think, okay, 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 if God can do it for them, maybe he could do it for me. Okay, if God has invited them and, and they had no idea how it was all gonna work out, they didn't see 17 moves down the road, they just said yes to the first step, and I've seen it work, and I've seen God provide, okay, maybe, just maybe, if I say yes to what I think is an invitation from God, maybe he will provide the next step and provide the next direction and, and show a way and provide, whether it's material, whether it's, whether it's relational, whether it's wisdom, for the word of God will never fail. And, I just, I can't help wondering if there's some of us that are here today that just need to be reminded that the word of God will never fail. If he has spoken to, now that's obviously the big variable. If it's, if it's in line with scripture, so not contrary to scripture, and if God has spoken to, I just wanna encourage you, especially if you've said yes and you're going through what feels like a wilderness, a winter, a season of mystery, a season of where it doesn't feel like it should all be working out the way you think it should. Anyone ever say yes to God and it feels like things get worse? It feels like you're having less impact? It feels like you're having less of an effect? 
the Word of God will never fail. It actually involves faith. It involves faith when we can't bridge the gap between what we're seeing and what we think God put on our hearts. And there's just this gap, and we can't see how we're going to bridge that. It does take faith. But the Word of God will never fail. And then, sorry, I lied. One more verse. Perhaps the greatest response to ever be recorded as a response to God and one that I want to leave you with today, an attitude that I think if we, if we have this hard posture towards God, if we, if we have this attitude that is surrendered to God, I'm telling you, that not only 2023, but your life will be different. I can't say it will all be comfortable or convenient or easy or even safe and secure, but there will be an adventure to it. There will be a confidence to it, a security to it. Mary responded, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I am the Lord's servant. She's saying, in fact, I actually can't help wondering if, if Mary's like, well, what's the question? I'm his servant. So like, obviously, yes. If it's God, the answer is yes. And again, that attitude doesn't happen in a day. That attitude has been developed over time. That is becoming the type of person that says, well, I mean, I'm your servant. So if that's what he's instructing, I, like it's not an opinion, it's, it's God. Yeah. Of course, my answer is yes. But I want to encourage you that, that sometimes there's a journey to getting to that place where our natural hard posture is to say, well, I'm the Lord's servant, so if it's him, I'm saying yes. So three quick ideas that are connected to God's invitations. The first is that God's invitation will always involve purpose. There is actually purpose attached. It is motivated by love, love for you, love for other people. But there, there is purpose attached to invitation. Ephesians 2 verse 10, very well-known passage says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This for me is probably one of the most meaningful passages that I keep coming back to. When, when I need to be reminded that if you're still breathing, God has a plan. God actually has a purpose for your life. And, and I love it. The part that sticks out to me is that he's planned these good works in advance. So as you go into the rest of your day, as you go into whatever your plans are for Christmas, as you go into, as you wake up tomorrow on the 26th of December, God's already got a plan for tomorrow. It doesn't have to be hectic. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be to run you know, for office or change the world in a day. No, no, it's just, hey, God's got a plan for today. There is purpose. And I am convinced, almost aggressively so, that is not boring. God's purpose will not put you to sleep. You might need sleep so that you're energized for His purposes, but it shouldn't put you to sleep. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans chapter 15, verse 8, where he says, This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave tending life, it's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? It's like, God, what's next? What's up? Okay, it's a new day. Or it's a new opportunity, it's a new season, new promotion, new grade, new job. Hopefully not a brand new family if you have a family. Yeah. Okay, but it's, okay, what's up? Like, what's next? I love that it is not 
just like, uh, like just count sand, you know, dig a hole, fill a hole. Like, no, I'm telling you that there is, there is something of meaning. I just think that in our cultural moment where we are so overstimulated, it's hard for anything to be exciting and impressive. It's hard for anything to give you the same dopamine hit that scrolling every three seconds does. Or watching the 27th season of your favorite series that has 22 episodes each. Like it's, it's, it's very hard. We, we can so inoculate ourselves to anything that's significant, we, we, can so, we can so easily settle for a counterfeit as Dino said last week, for empty calories, we feel full, but actually it's empty, so there's nothing nu nutritional in it, that we don't recognize that just the ordinary, the everyday, the connecting, the greeting, the way I work, the way I serve, the way I interact, that there is actually purpose and meaning, and yes, life attached to all of that. Now, here's the challenge, is it's so tempting for us to only think that is God's purpose when it is dramatic, when it's like, whoa. Like, if it doesn't get a million likes, that can't be God. If, if this doesn't get everyone's attention, it can't be God. And I would argue that it is exceptionally rare that God's purpose is going to be noticed by huge numbers of people. In some cases, it is unusual for it to be noticed by anybody. Just because it's not noticed by others doesn't mean it's unseen by God. And I think that we can make an idol out of the dramatic we can make an idol out of the extraordinary, and it's like, and it's, I'm, I'm going to go down in history. No, you don't have to go down in history with people. The everyday, ordinary. Again, I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans 12 verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Jason, that's great. You look like you're getting very excited. But like, what does this mean? Okay, this is what it means. Where you are 99% of the time, in my opinion, is where God wants or where God has connected 99% of your purpose. There, I'm not saying that there won't be seasons or moments of the extraordinary. But I am convinced that unless we're faithful with the ordinary, why would God trust us with the extraordinary? And that's why I'm convinced that Mary had to have been a somewhat faithful, dependable, reliable, not perfect, just to be clear. She was a human being. There's no way that she was perfect. And, and you don't have to wait until you're perfect before God can ask you to do something extraordinary. That's not going to happen. If you're perfect, you're dead. As long as you're alive, you're imperfect. But you can be the kind of person that he's faithful enough with the ordinary, that if there is something extraordinary, that God can trust you with it. Again, I mean, Jesus is quoted in Matthew 25, saying pretty much the same thing. Where in verse 29, it says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. In other words, faithful with a little, faithful with much. Okay, in case you're not convinced, let me ask you this question. Do you remember what Mary's Mother's name is? Nope. That's a cousin. Anybody remember what Mary's father's name is? Mary's grandfather, grandmother? Do 
You have never heard, nor will you this side of eternity, ever hear anything about Mary's parents, about her teachers, about uncles, aunts, cousins that influenced her. The only person that we know of that's relative is Elizabeth, her cousin. My point being, we know nothing about the people that helped form the girl that God could entrust with his son. So can we get over not being the name that is known? Can we be okay with being the relative, the friend, the neighbor, the colleague, the, the fellow student who, who's just okay with being faithful with the everyday, ordinary, just, just the normal? Can we stop making a false god of the extraordinary and actually be content and satisfied with serving God in the everyday, ordinary, as he keeps making, I, in my opinion, thousands, throughout a lifetime, thousands of little invitations. Now, just so you know, in case you're pedantic, I was going to say millions until I researched how many days someone would live if you are 80, or 80. It's less than 30,000 days. I was a little bit underwhelmed. I think, I think to live 30,000 days, you have to be about 83 or 84 years old. Now, don't go and do your calculation just yet. But, but like, it's past 80. So I was like, okay, I can't say millions. But I can say thousands. I think if you lived, yeah, if I'm Sam, I can say millions. If, if, if you live for 30,000 days, I'm just telling you, there'd be thousands of little invitations. Maybe there are one or two dramatic ones thrown in there. Maybe, maybe. But I think how we treat the thousands will determine how we treat the one. Obedience to the known will of God always paves the way to the unknown will of God. God's invitations involves purpose, and secondly, God's invitations will involve promise. Like, He will actually prompt us, give us a desire. Now, again, it's not often going to be dramatic, but there will be a prompting which might feel like a thought, a noticing, a, a desire that doesn't go away, or a burden that doesn't go away, or an awareness that doesn't go away. And, and again, relax with not being sure how to, how to discern that. It takes practice, and it's okay to get it wrong, and you will get it wrong. My encouragement is not to stop when you get it wrong. My encouragement is to keep doing it until you get it right more often. Keep, keep trying to be obedient. Man, how easy is it for God to direct a willing person yeah. as opposed to a perfectionist that won't move unless the archangel Gabriel comes and speaks to me? I'm speaking about myself yeah. as someone that would like a lot of detail. And would like it by nature. I would like it to be confirmed in multiple ways. But I've got to tell you, there is very, very, very little in my life that has been confirmed strongly, repeatedly. But it's often been a burden that hasn't left. A, dis a concern, an awareness, a noticing. And the more consistent we are with that, the easier and the quicker it is to notice little things. To just notice small opportunities and to not need God to confirm it for you to go and be kind. To not need God to you know, blow the horn from heaven for you to go and talk to someone. Or to just treat the person that's serving you like a decent human being. Or to be patient. Anyway, all right. Philippians 2 verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I'm just telling you that if you are in a relationship with God, so if you are following Him, He does give us desires. He will give us the prompts to actually 
make a difference, to contribute. We'll, we will not be satisfied with just consuming. We will want to contribute. And in our cultural moment, we need a few less opinions and a few more contributions. It doesn't take a lot of effort to criticize, to moan, to, to vent. It takes a lot more effort to look for a silver lining, to look for some hope, to bring some, some change to an atmosphere, to be a thermostat, not just a thermometer. It takes, it takes effort to not just be, be a consumer who thinks that everything's owed to me and that I actually want to contribute and make a difference and add value in some way. But I think that God actually prompts us. He gives us those desires. But again, it's only as we're faithful in the very, very little. And then lastly, God's invitation involves power. He doesn't only give us the desire to do His will, to, to walk according to His purpose. He actually gives us the power to do it as well. Now, I don't know about you. I need that. I need God's power. Sometimes I need his power when I'm tired and stretched and maybe compassion fatigue is kicking in and, and, yet, and yet I'm so aware that there's a need to just pay attention or to, or to just listen for a little while or to just be present. And there are times where, where I need God's power. Now, again, power doesn't mean that he like, like invades your life and just you know, makes you look like you're on crack. It's, no, no, it's, I'm, saying, I'm saying power can be, can be where God even just makes you aware. Don't miss this. I know, you feel, I know you're tired, or I know you're busy, I know you're distracted, but, but just give this a moment. That, that is God's power. God giving you the ability to just slow down, process, be present. And again, I just think in our cultural moment, in a world that is increasingly distracted, fractured, divided, obsessively struggling with any ability to focus and pay attention on one thing at a time, not to mention one person at a time who's not speaking as fast as you'd like them to. I think presence is a gift. That's why it's amazing that even on a day like Christmas, maybe you've got great plans with friends or family, Maybe you don't, and I'm sorry if that's the case, but if you do, it's amazing how easy it is to give gifts or to get through a meal, but, but not to be present, where we're still distracted, where we maybe just want to get on to the next thing. Presence is a gift, and I think we need God's power to be present. I think we need God's power to actually be willing to listen, to be curious, to be willing to, to actually want to understand the other person, the other side, before just trying to overwhelm them with our immaculate case for why they're wrong and why we're right. I'm not saying morality doesn't matter, of course it does. I'm not saying ethics don't matter, of course they do. But we're living in a cultural moment of outrage where people are increasingly polarized, people are increasingly divided, there are increasingly corners uh, where, where, where people you know, kind of stay in, in, in certain camps and, and can actually dehumanize people in the opposite camps or people that have a different opinion to you. And I'm, How can you love someone that you are dehumanizing? 
And how can we humanize someone sufficiently without actually caring about their soul? And if I don't care about their story, then do I actually care about their soul? I just think that this is an example of power that God can give us. I think this is an example of where God, more often than we might realize, gives us opportunities. He gives us invitations in the ordinary, everyday opportunities to be present, to be curious, to listen, to be generous, to be conduits of grace and mercy. And again, I just think if ever there was a, if ever there was a moment in human history that needed grace and mercy, it's this moment. Where we don't want to not care about what's right, but where we can actually hold the tension of caring about what's right, but also caring about the human being and caring enough to want to still value, dignify, and show God's love. So, in conclusion, I want to leave you with two invitations. The one is for some people, and the other is for everybody, and God's watching. Just so you know. The invitations are connected to the Christmas story. It's connected to the Easter story. It's connected to the meta-narrative of the Bible. It is connected to what we call the gospel. It is the two invitations. One is to accept his forgiveness, and the other is to actually choose to follow. Now, I'm saying that they're two separate invitations because it's one thing for us to accept forgiveness, so what, we're, so what Jesus saves us from, but many people stop there and don't actually choose to follow take on the posture of Mary, where it's, well, I'm the Lord's servant. What can, like, my answer is yes. Yeah. So as it relates to responding to the first invitation, this is for those of you that are here or listening or watching this at a later stage that are not confident, sure, clear that you're in a life-giving relationship with God. You, you're not sure that you have actually consciously made a decision to accept the gift of forgiveness that only Jesus can offer to us. There's nothing that we can add to it. It is outrageously scandalous in that it is completely free. It is 100% free, nothing we can add to it, but it was not cheap. It came at the highest possible price. Jesus literally, physically died on the cross, humiliated, shamed, separated from God for a period because he was taking our place. He was literally our substitute. He was paying the ransom for the debt that we owed. It is a free, scandalous gift of grace and mercy. But he won't force it on us. We actually have to choose. So that's the invitation. The invitation that was literally written on a cross is, will you accept my forgiveness and be reconciled to a relationship with the Father? So that is an invitation that some people need to consider and respond to. But then the second invitation is to follow. It's to actually say, God, my answer is yes. What's the question? God, I'm, I, what do you want to invite me to next? Having that attitude of, what's next, Papa? Like, what's up? What do you have planned for today? And so one of the best ways that I can think of that has helped me and that I'm hoping will help you if you're interested. If you're not interested, forget about this. That's okay. But there's a prayer that I've been praying on and off probably for a couple of years now and then over the last while 
I've, I've literally just made it a, a wallpaper on my phone so that, so that any time I touch my phone, this prayer comes up and to a point that has been prompting me and reminding me and helping me to, to, to pray this several times a day to where I'm actually starting to try and live this every single day. And so, and so one of the values of praying a repetitive prayer, number one for me, it takes a lot of repetition before I actually start remembering something. I'm not even joking, like it's bad. But secondly, I think we pray a prayer until the prayer is actually a part of us, until, until that desire, until, until what we're praying is, is becoming real and, and second nature to us. It's literally taken from the end of the everyday devotional of the free app, the Lectio 365. So some of you have used the app already, so you'd be familiar with this. And I want to encourage you to do the same. The prayer simply goes like this, has three parts to it. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. I'll come back to that in a moment. But if you're following along on the Uversion app right now with the notes from the service, you'll see at the bottom there's a link that you can tap on. Don't do it yet. Do it when, when you leave where you can download just a very simple design of this prayer. And I want to encourage you to put it on your phone as a screensaver, as your lock screen, whatever the case is. Or if you don't have your version and you don't have the link, just literally go to our homepage and just scroll all the way down and, and you'll find the link to download this wallpaper. I want you to think about this for a moment. In fact, let me get you to stand, please. And I want you to close your eyes. And if you're willing to do this, you don't have to, but if you're comfortable, just as a posture of surrender, can I encourage you to just open your hands in front of you? So eyes closed, hands open. And as your eyes are closed, I want you to, to just thoughtfully pray, to repeat after me, to, to reflect on, on the three parts of this prayer. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Think about that for a moment. It's not just surviving. It's not half-baked. No, no, God, I want to live this day to the full. I don't want to waste another day. But it's also not anxious. It's not, it's not pressure. You're not being driven. You're being invited to live this day to the full. What's next, God? What's up? Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. I think that being true to you in every way speaks of integrity. Integrity in my relationships, integrity in my work, integrity in my responsibilities, where there's an authenticity, there's a, there's a reliability. When things go wrong, you're quick to own it, apologize. There's a humility. Help me to be true to you in every way. But then, Jesus, help me to give myself away to others. And my encouragement, if you do this in your own personal time, is not to just rush through that, but to actually reflect on that kind of heart attitude. God, am I willing to give myself away to others? And I would encourage you that if you've been touched by the grace of God, if you are aware of God's generosity to you, it's gonna become increasingly easy to wanna to be generous to others. It's gonna become increasingly easy to wanna to pass on that grace, to wanna pass on that kindness, pass on that mercy. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. God, help me to be kind to people. Help me to be kind to myself when I don't get it right, when it's not perfect, because 
Again, you're not going to get this perfect. But imagine if a month from now, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, you can look back and you can notice a trajectory in your life where you are becoming increasingly sensitive, increasingly aware of everyday, ordinary opportunities to just be kind. And then lastly, Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. We are His ambassadors. Scripture tells us that He's actually making His appeal through His followers. So again, that speaks of God. Help me to actually be aware, to be sensitive of those that are not in a relationship with you, those that are far from you. Help me to, help me to be patient. Help me to trust you. God, if this takes the rest of my life, I'll play whatever role you want me to play. But help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. Father, I pray for everyone.